forgives our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? In the next couple days, Oklahoma will be remembering what happened in Tulsa a hundred years ago. We will be remembering the loss of hundreds of lives and the destruction of the prosperous, thriving Greenwood District. It's a tragic history. It's one that has been sort of hidden for quite a while and is finally coming out into the open and something that we need to remember as people of God and Oklahomans. But none of us directly participated in what happened in Tulsa 100 years ago. And some might say it's history, but it's not our history. And I have been watching the past couple weeks some of the episodes of the Amazon production of Colson Whitehead's novel, The Underground Railroad. Uh, I warn you, if you watch it, it is difficult and it is painful and it is complicated. It is uh, the story of people trying to escape slavery at... Uh, the early part of the 19th century in colonial America, but it's complicated because there are good black people and there are bad black people. There are good white people and there are really bad white people. It's a complicated story and a complicated history. But you and I, of course, we weren't slaveholders and we certainly, uh, you know, we weren't enslaved. We weren't direct participants in what happened in the early 1800s in this country. And so, you know, some might say it's history, but it's not our history. But then we turn to the scriptures. And what are we to do with the biblical narrative? Are we to say, well, there's a lot of history there, but it's not 
our history. I mean, we weren't there with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. We weren't there with the prophets. We weren't there with the Pharisees. We weren't there in Paul's churches. It's history that happened, but, well, it's not our history. And some would say, in fact, you know, we've been set free in Jesus Christ and all that stuff is in the past. But if you've heard me preach at all over the past four years, you've heard me say that the Bible is not some window to the past, that the scriptural witnesses are always trying to hold up a mirror and say, look, people, look at who you are. Look at what you're capable of doing. Look at the ways that you can turn from God and the things that you can do, and sometimes even in the name of God, that are harmful to other people, that bring death rather than life. The scriptures, as well as human history, which I will say was created by God, who also gave us a memory to look back on these things, is supposed to help us see who we are as human beings and what the human being is capable of doing. That there is this thread within us. Call it sin, if you will. There's this part of our human nature that can always get hooked or snagged or pulled in a direction that ends up being harmful to others. And if we ignore that truth, we're ignoring who human beings have proven themselves to be again and again and again. And this is where this letter of James comes in, and, and we know James to be one of the hardest hitting of uh, all the books in the New Testament because James is the one who's going to say, you know, it's not really enough what you believe, and it's not really so much what you have to say. It's really how you live. It's really what you do. It's really your actions that are going to reveal what's in your heart and what's in your spirit. It's what you do that's going to show the world who you're really following. Oh, sure, you can say, uh, you know, I'm doing this in God's name, but you can see the results of that action and whether it's uh, to harm or to good and to life. James is always saying it's about how you live that's really going to reveal your true heart and spirit. And so here, you know, uh, uh, James is always going to set up this kind of dynamic in which he's going to say the world is always going to test you. Now, listen, James doesn't say God is going to test you. He says, the world is going to test you. The world is going to say, look at this, look at that, do this, do that. Won't this be good for you? Won't this, isn't this the right? And the world is always, in bigger ways or in smaller ways, going to try and pull you in its direction. And the only solution, James says, is the wisdom of God, the power of God, the love of God. That's it. And so you get to this second chapter in James. And already we've got this dynamic where we know the human creature can 
always be pulled in the wrong direction if we're not paying attention. You know, I was thinking about uh, Germany in, in the late 1930s and the early 40s. It had been a Christian nation for centuries, and yet if you're going to exterminate millions of Jewish people, it can't just be Hitler. A lot of people had to buy into that narrative. A lot of people had to be hooked by the world's ways and taken down that path or in, in, at the very least simply been indifferent to what was happening and not attuned to the power and to the way of God. So James sets up in chapter 2 this specific example, and it could be any kind of example of the way we judge and divide. You know, he says, in comes the rich guy who's looking good, he's got the nice clothes on, he's probably got his little cologne, and smelling good, you know. And in comes the other guy who's kind of dirty and disheveled and probably doesn't smell so good, looks poor, and the church says... Hey, you rich guy, come on, we really like you. Come on, we got a great place for you. And then the church sees the other guy and goes, yeah, yeah, sit in the back or, you know, I'm not really all that interested in, in talking to you. We do this all the time. We look at other people and we make snap judgments. We can't see what's in their heart. We're not looking for the image of God within them. We're not looking for, you know, who they really are as people. We just see things and we make judgments about whether they're one of us or not. Could be rich and poor. Could be black and white. Could be someone comes in who's older and someone who comes in who's younger. I don't know which one we'd prefer. <laughs> but we'd make judgments. It could be someone comes in 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 a wheelchair, and we uh, uh, prefer the able-bodied. We don't know how to talk to someone who's in a wheelchair. We do this all the time as human beings. We make these distinctions. And James is trying to say, you know, this is not God's way. When you start making distinctions about who you welcome and who you don't welcome, you are not listening to God and to the way of Jesus Christ. In fact, James will go on in just a couple verses, and he'll say, you know, the commandment is to love your neighbor. And the point is that sometimes we will say that to love our neighbor, it's okay to love some of our neighbors. I'm loving some of my neighbors. I'm fulfilling the commandment. I'm loving the neighbors who make me comfortable. I'm loving the neighbors who are a lot like me. I am fulfilling the commandment. And James says, you're not. Because God does not make those distinctions. God loved the whole world such that Jesus died for all and Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. All of you are welcome, says God. But we human beings say, no, some are more welcome than others. And in fact, historically what happens when we start to make those kinds of judgments is we begin to say that other person is not as human 
as I am. So we say, well, I'm more human, so if they're not treated well, that's okay because they're not as human as I am. The poor are not as human as those of us who have wealth. Uh, people of color are not as human as white people. Uh, people in, in, who have disabilities are not as human as the able-bodied. And you can go right down the list, and then it becomes so much easier to do harm because they're not really human anyway. And Jesus weeps. Because Jesus says, all of you are my beloved. Every single one of you is created in the image of God, and I am with all of you, and you are to learn to live together. You are actually in it together, though you act often as if you are not. You know, I could take us back to the beginning of the Bible, to uh, the Garden of Eden, where God had created the whole of everything in this wonderful relationship. Remember, Adam's walking around with the giraffe. You know, hey, bud, how you doing today? Adam is walking in the cool of the evening with God. They're all in it together in this beautiful paradise, and then something happens. Think of the serpent as the world going, hey, guess what? You can be more. You, you, can, be more. you can be like God. You can be closer to God. Others won't be as close as you are. And they are not in relationship at that moment. They do their own thing. The man and the woman do their own thing. They ignore God, and that's where the problem begins. Human nature is such that we want to place ourselves over and above, do our own thing. Why do you think the Apostle Paul, in virtually every letter, has to say, hey, guys, um, don't insist on your own way. Hey, guys, remember to be humble. Hey, guys, look out for the interests of others. He's constantly saying that thing because human nature has never changed. Human nature in the time of Jesus is the same as human nature today. When the world is always trying to snag that piece of us and pull us away from God and the reality of the gospel. And the reality of the gospel is that we are to be related one to another. The reality of the gospel is that we are already related and in it together, even if we act as, we, as if we are not. And the reality is that we are here to learn how to be in relationship with one another. And I tell you what, living in community is hard and messy. I mean, if any of you have ever been married, had kids, had parents, had co-workers, had friends, had a church family, you will know that it is hard to stay in relationship with other people. It's a lot easier to walk away and to do my own thing than it is to be in relationship with others. But that, of course, is God's will for our lives. 
you know, this, this side of the human spirit that can be pulled away from God, it can't be fixed by having the right government. It can't be fixed by creating the right laws. It can't be fixed by science and technology. It cannot be fixed by the church. Because the church can only point to the answer if the church is truly being the church. And the answer is the wisdom and the love and the power and the way of God poured out in Jesus Christ, the way that is a way of relationship, a way that is a way of staying together, a way that is the way of welcoming whoever our neighbor is, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable. That is God's way and it is only available to us when we open up ourselves and say not my will but yours oh God this last week I was uh, talking with Sally our financial administrator as I do often and for some reason we were talking a little bit about me getting this sermon together and Sally said something like this it's a wonder that God doesn't just walk away from all of us and wash his hands, given who we've been all, all of human history. And I said, but that's the point exactly, isn't it? God's very nature is to be in relationship. God's very self is a relational God. It's almost like God can't walk away because God is perfect relationship and invites us into that. God will never leave us. God will never walk away, no matter how many times we do that. And therein lies our hope right in the very fact that our God stays with us and says, I don't care how many times you've walked away or how many times you've turned from someone, I'm still here and I still want to show you the way. Relationship, community, this is where here and now we live in the kingdom of God and it's offered to us by the power and the love and the wisdom of God. We can open ourselves to be truly with others. After all, we're in it together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.